Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Ng. I'm a private practice obstetrician-gynecologist with offices located in Manhattan, Chinatown, and Brooklyn's Sunset Park and Bay Ridge. I also own the Birthing Center of New York. I've got a 30-year history of taking care of women in four out of the five boroughs. I was asked today to speak about endometriosis, which is a medical condition that occurs when the lining of the uterus called the endometrium grows in other places such as the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, or along the pelvis. And when the lining breaks down, like the regular lining in the uterus that produces the menstruation, it has nowhere to go. That's a simplified version of it. We haven't figured out exactly what the cause of endometriosis is, and it's been a challenge to treat because of this. So when we talk about endometriosis growing in other places, Sometimes it can behave like a cancer. It has an invasive nature where the implants can go into the surrounding tissue, and they should be considered or treated like a neoplasm or cancer. But technically, it's not a cancer. It has been associated with an increased risk of ovarian cancer, though, in women with endometriosis, especially those with longstanding history of endometriosis greater than 10 years. And the endometriosis was diagnosed at a younger age. And also, it's called an endometriosis-associated ovarian cancer, like clear cell and endometrioid cell types. And they're often diagnosed at a younger age, at an earlier stage, with a lower grade, and they have a better prognosis. And the treatment of this is usually simpler than in the serous type or more serious cancers. The women that are at risk for developing endometriosis are often inherited. Because we don't always diagnose our patients with endometriosis by laparoscopy, some of it is clinically diagnosed. And also prior to, I want to say, the 1990s, we weren't performing that many laparoscopies. And so it was an incidental finding or an assumption. And we didn't have a lot of treatments, so making that diagnosis was difficult. We usually, the symptoms can increase with age because the scar tissue can deepen over time. Alcohol use is associated with it loosely. Early menarche, uh, or in other words, early onset of your cycle. Family history of endometriosis is a stronger indicator. Prolonged menstrual flow, heavier menstrual flow, short cycles. In other words, more menstruations are also alleged risk factors. It can run in families, as I mentioned, but we haven't identified a pattern yet. In other words, is it a dominant pattern? Is it a recessive pattern? Is it guaranteed if your mother had it that you'll have it? It can be environmental and immunological as well. Both of us are leaning towards more immunological origin at this moment, and a lot of the therapies are being targeted at this. The Some of the symptoms that we look out for or that we make a clinician decide that you might have endometriosis are painful periods, also known as dysmenorrhea. Pelvic pain and cramping may begin before and extend several days into a menstrual cycle. You can also have lower back pain, can be abdominal pain. Some women experience diarrhea, a lot of GI symptoms. Pain with intercourse. Pain during or after sex is a common symptom of endometriosis, especially 
in the back of the uterus, what we would call the uterosacrals. When they hit you in a certain area, women will complain that causes severe pain. It can be pain with insertion, pain with bowel movements or urination. You can also experience these symptoms during menstrual periods. So you can have maybe an interstitial cystitis, like an inflammation of the bladder, which is often considered maybe one of the continuum of part of the spectrum of endometriosis. Some women get diarrhea, some women get constipation, and that may be due to scar tissue that's developing or prostaglandin release, which is a chemical that causes pain, which is why non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen may work to ameliorate some of these symptoms. Excessive bleeding, you can also experience occasionally heavy menstrual cycles or bleeding between your periods, also known as intermenstrual bleeding. So excessive, painful, prolonged, untimed bleeding are all possible symptoms, which can be very troubling. So heavy that some women can't go to work or go to school. And it can start, obviously, as a teenager. And infertility is sometimes the initial diagnosis that we find with endometriosis. Because not everybody with endometriosis has pain. And a lot of pain doesn't mean a lot of endometriosis. So some women also get fatigue, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, nausea. Sometimes the locations of the scar tissue from prior surgeries will also have endometriosis in them, and they can present with cyclic pain, such as a patient who had a cesarean delivery, has endometriosis, that endometriosis can go through the scar, and then monthly they'll get a little swelling under the scar tissue. People have had it in their chest wall. They've had it even nosebleeds. Well, some women have had it in the spine. It can travel in many different directions, which is why we're not sure about the etiology. Some people think it's lymphatics. It could be traveling along different vessels. So what is the definitive way to make a diagnosis of endometriosis? Laparoscopy is still considered the gold standard. If women have pain and the medications that we try or the conservative measures like changing your diet, ruling out other diseases from a colonoscopy or a cystoscopy, don't help, then we often will say we need a laparoscopy, especially with infertility patients, because this is really the way we can clean up some of the scar tissue. And if the fallopian tubes are damaged by endometriosis, sometimes we recommend removal of those fallopian tubes because they're causing infertility, not only by blockage, but also because of the chemicals that are produced inside that fallopian tube that may be killing the sperm. So the laparoscopy is the definitive way. Generally speaking, though, most doctors these days will initially treat you conservatively with, let's say, diet, exercise, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, birth control pills, perhaps, maybe an intrauterine device with progesterone, such as Mirena or Kylena. We try to hold off on surgery. The other medications we'll talk about later. We have the options in the past we used to have Danazol, which caused you to make your body think that you were like a little masculinized, which opposed the estrogen. Then in the 90s, we started offering up Lupron and Cinerel. And these are called GNRH agonists. And they actually make your body think you have enough estrogen 
and they will actually drop your hormone levels down to menopausal levels. Side effects were hot flashes, vaginal dryness, the usual things that women would experience during their natural menopause. Now we also have GnRH antagonist called Oralissa or Elagolix, which is an antagonist that able to modify your levels of estrogen to a mid-level. So you're not as severely menopausal, but you're also not having such high doses of estrogen, which you would have naturally. You can try acupuncture, we can try yoga, pelvic floor exercises to help. We also, of course, try modifications of the diet, as we mentioned. So with these treatments and management options, if they all fail, and the bleeding is excessive, the pain is ridiculous, then hysterectomy can be the definitive treatment. However, even with the hysterectomy, 5% of women in menopause will still have symptoms, and that can be related to scar tissue, or it could be related to obesity, because obese women have more hormones in their bodies that are still circulating, that is being produced from the fat tissue. So they may continue to have stimulation of the implants and scar tissue. We've also found that, as I mentioned before, interstitial cystitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and other GI-related illnesses, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, they may also be part of this continuum of pain and bloating. We do try to avoid caffeine with interstitial cystitis, alcohol, tomatoes, hot spicy foods. We treat with medications that are instilled into the bladder. Sometimes antihistamines work for interstitial cystitis. With inflammatory bowel syndrome, we keep a food and symptom diary. We try to avoid triggers. You know, those are all helpful in dropping down the, the symptom load. The other last part of this I wanted to go over was how do we deal with endometriosis and infertility? 60 to 70% of women with endometriosis are fertile. So it's not necessarily something that needs to be of concern. If the ovary or the fallopian tube is involved, though, that inflammation and irritation can cause infertility. In advanced cases, as I mentioned before, the endometriosis can cause adhesions, scar tissue, pelvic organs, such as your intestines get stuck to your uterus, can get stuck to your fallopian tubes, and then block the entrance of the egg back into the tube, or allowing the sperm to get into the fallopian tube to fertilize the egg. So we need surgery. And if there's a hydrosalpinx, in other words, a swelling of the fallopian tube, there may be too extensive a damage to the tubes for pregnancy, in which case then we would advise removing both the fallopian tubes. So the bottom line is if you have symptoms, pain, bloating, heavy cycles, unexpected bleeding, speak to your OBGYN. Treatment options include diet, of course, exercise modification, multiple medications now from injectables to pills. The last thing we can do is surgery. And I want to thank Misni for sponsoring this podcast. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody, for your time.